Hi everyone. You know, these Spider-Verse movies have really been a gift to us artists. I feel like you can take almost any frame and really dig into it. And that's what we're gonna do here. Don't worry, no spoilers ahead. These are all frames from the trailers. The animation on display here is pretty spectacular. An animator works with things like acting, posing, timing, spacing, staging. But of all those, I think it all starts with good posing. Good posing has a lot to do with readability, and readability has a lot to do with clear silhouettes. Silhouette is kind of the quickest path to communicating a character. Silhouettes read purely on graphics. It's kind of like a computer processing binary code. Our brain computers can process silhouette information extremely quickly. This is especially important in film, where frames go by at a pretty incredible rate. Let's take 24 frames per second and do some math here. That gives us about that long to read each frame. A good animator trades in frames. I mean, here are four unique silhouettes from an extremely quick shot. Silhouettes are built from three types of line. C-curves, which can literally look like the letter C, or they can be distortions of it. S-curves, which are kind of like two C-curves put together. And again, you can distort these. And straights, which lack curvature altogether. The most basic principle of good silhouette drawing is you don't want to repeat yourself too much. This leg here is variations on a theme, the theme being C-curves. Most of these segments are C-curves, but with noticeable differences in their characteristics. Thinking about composing each part of your silhouette like this helps keep it engaging to the viewer. I really like how Kingpin's silhouette is done. The thematic straight lines used here make him feel like a pile of bricks. But what really drives home the interest is the subtly different angles these lines create. So watch as I do the same drawing, but in a far less interesting way. The repetition of angles here is way too obvious. And when something is even a little bit too obvious, it betrays the design. Whether you're an animator or not, there are some essential oversights to have in mind when you're designing your silhouettes. In this hypothetical example, we have symmetry across two axes. It's not symmetry itself that's bad, it's the repetition of choices being made. In this revision, I'm just putting the symmetry on diagonals, and that does inject a lot of life back into it. In this second revision, I'll try contrasting the type of curves being used. Notice how both of these retain the look of the original while having a more engaging feel. Real life often provides a starting point for these very concepts. Anatomy, for example, is worth studying to become familiar with how shapes tend to relate to each other. Often the widest parts of shapes are indeed related diagonally. I really appreciate how this silhouette takes that idea and runs with it. You know, it exaggerates that connection. The result here reminds me of real life, but it also holds that artistic expression that we love in these movies. A whole other important principle is designing your negative space. These shapes help present the positive shapes, and good artists tend to keep them dead simple. Even in very realistic images, the negative shapes are kept as simple as possible in order to serve those silhouettes. These negative shapes, from the Drew Struzan image, are really no different than these Spider-Verse negative shapes. Think of them as anchors, steadfast in any style. You also want to use negative space to highlight important parts of the pose. For example, here, it's hard to know that I'm chucking a Hadouken right in your face. My hands are hidden somewhere in here. Also, the way they're posed is hidden. The point is, the read is not immediate anymore. Remember that math we did? Well, the eye can quickly start to lag behind, which is a problem for keeping your audience engaged. If one area of the pose is important, it's much better to use negative space to help show it. 
Then from there you can put your designer hat on and decide which arrangement of negative space looks the best for that pose. Now, keeping shapes simple is a principle that applies to any shape, but it's absolutely critical for negative shapes. Here I'm ironing out the kinks. The contours need to be less road mappy. I have a little visual principle for this, the cutout principle. If I can easily cut the shape out with scissors, I'm probably on the right track with it. All right, but back to positive space. See how that leg really feels like it's moving fast? That's due to the fact that straighter lines tend to have the feeling of more speed, as related to curvy lines, which tend to feel more flowy. For example, we could draw a punching pose like this. And it's all right, it reads, it has general anatomical shapes. But let's apply a little artistic license to that and use a few more straights this time. To me, this punch just feels a bit faster than the first one. So here's a scene from one of the trailers. All right, we'll play that again and we'll stop right here. This pose has some fast moving straights on the outstretched leg and arm. The other side is complemented by curves. So we get this kind of fast side versus flowy side. There's also a featured negative shape here to help present those fast parts. In this case, the fast reading areas are also areas of exertion. So it makes sense to highlight them. Now he moves to this pose and we have a bit of a reversal. The flowy back and leg are still the same, but this arm is now grouped into that. Notice the negative shape there has also diminished. The leg is roughly the same, but now the other arm is in a state of exertion. So it gets the straights. It also receives the negative space to help show it off. I'll go ahead and draw my own Spider-Man pose now and show you how I put this to use. Same thing, I'm thinking about where the exertion is, in this case that downward stretched arm, and I'm giving that the most straights, even continuing it right up into the torso. Then the legs and hips are more curvy, also with smaller negative spaces. And by the way, even a flattened C or S curve can be enough to read like a straight, depending on the nature of curves around it. I like this silhouette, but if I feel like this arm is competing with this arm, I can always add more curvature to the arm and group it in back here. Straight lines read faster than curves do because a straight line is the shortest distance between two points. They're also less complex. So curves are slower than straights in that sense. So here's a pose that uses that difference as a design element. The straights in this pose are not necessarily showing exertion. They exist at the bottom half of the pose to act as a foil for the curves at the top half. Again, more of a design element. And just while we're here, remember this example where we were offsetting symmetry? This pose uses that too. Take the torso shape here. We look at it isolated. Notice that diagonal relationship between the widest points. A less interesting way to draw this shape would have been like this. It's a small difference for sure, but going back to here really injects that little bit of motion that is so fitting for Spider-Man. And you'll see this in just so many frames of the film. All right, moving on now to everyone's favorite topic. Let's talk color. When you look at nature, you're usually dealing with a full palette, which means that colors can come from anywhere on the color wheel. This includes a color's full saturation all the way to its respective grays. And this goes for all hues. But what happens if you take a Pac-Man shape and cut that away, leaving behind a pie slice of the color wheel? Depending on where you live, you actually do see something like this in real life. In this case, the color of the evergreens does sit a little bit outside this pie slice, but this is what we call an analogous palette which means that the hues are all next door neighbors on the color wheel. And you can pull these colors from anywhere on the color wheel, so long as they're connected. An analogous palette is a type of limited palette, meaning you don't have access to all the colors. 
In my opinion, using an analogous palette is one of the easiest ways to achieve color harmony, because the restraints you have are so easy to follow. Here I'm doing a very quick and simplified study of the photo we just saw. I'm using various levels of saturation on each color, changing the hue around. I also want to take brushwork out of the equation, so I'm only using one brush and I'm trying to make the same stroke with it each time. Color-wise, it's almost like shooting fish in a barrel here because the limitations make it extremely difficult to go astray. I've got a specific playpen, like a child at daycare. I'm just more likely to be in an appropriate spot with my color. Now, I made one important change from the photo here. You see what looks like green in my painting? It's actually just a gray-yellow. Watch as I adjust the value to match the color wheel, and there we go. So what happens if I pick a gray color on the other side of the pie slice? like a reddish gray. I'll put a streak of it in the water. Notice how it looks cooler, almost kind of purplish. This shows that putting grays on the outskirts of the pie slice has the illusion of accessing other colors. So here's a shot from the first Spider-Verse film. One small adjustment to the color wheel. I'd say the pie slice is more like this. So determining the perimeters of the playpen is already one form of artistic control, but the film is doing even more within that. Tracking the colors from top to bottom, we see that they go in order around the wheel. We can even track the colors across the picture, and they have an order too. It goes from purple up through to the oranges and yellows, and then back down toward purple. It's worth doing a little abstract color study of just that concept. It'll take you no time at all, you're just practicing tracking those colors. But even still, you should be able to capture a specific feeling for the scene here. Alright, we'll put that aside. Let's now look at the value structure of this shot. The tones used here are also very simply controlled. The background may appear to have a lot of contrast, but it's not full contrast. In my little study there, this is the tonal range I was using. I stopped short of pure white and stopped well short of pure black. That enables me now to use those darks, which are in this range, for the characters. Because they have their own little reserved section of the value chart, which of course includes the lightest lights too, it's virtually a guarantee that their silhouettes will read against the background. Alright, great. Here's one more little color observation I enjoy. It's how the blue from the Spider-Man costume plays against this palette. It's a beautiful little accent. Because that blue would be over here, in a place far away from any of our other colors, the blue acts as the color equivalent of a highlight or something. You know, helps the color really pop. So, when you feel like you understand the guts of a picture, I recommend trying to produce a color key version of the shot. This is not a copy of the finished frame. It's more like a preliminary sketch version of it. It should fully capture the mood of the shot. It should have all the organization stuff we just went through. But this time, I'm adding brushwork to the mix to help enhance the mood. Brushwork can actually be your best friend on a color key, because at this small scale, a single stroke can mean an awful lot. So I'm dealing with the background first because I know, based on the structural stuff we just went through, that the character will fit on top of this. The approach I'm taking to building color in this shot kinda looks like this. I know the range I want to be in is here on the hue spectrum, but I started out with an array of colors kind of in the middle of that, which allows me to build out the color in both directions. Having a place to go with your color really helps provide motivation during the process, and I treat saturation the same way. I started with colors that are not neutral, but quite far away from full saturation. The act of building saturation on top of less saturation makes the chroma feel like it belongs more. Then you can go the other way of course and add grays, which suddenly makes this limited palette feel quite full. 
All right, back to the painting, and the character is coming in now. Just like we planned for, he fits nicely on that background. And hopefully you can see where I'm using curves and straights and negative spaces, which really help the pose to read, especially in such a small painting. A color key is meant to be a quick yet informative capture of a scene. Often a concept artist will do several different versions of a color key to preview different looks and feels. And you, a professional artist working on the Spider-Verse films, should be able to crank out a few of these per day. Speaking of becoming a professional artist, check out MarcoBucciArtStore.com for hours and hours of classes. You'll find everything from beginner drawing to advanced color, even an eight-week-long art curriculum. Give it a look. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you in the next video.